This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, David's Last Psalm, and it comes from 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether it's Amazon or iTunes or Google or Spotify. So wherever you consume your podcast, we're there too. So search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in 2 Samuel. We're roughly three lessons away from wrapping up this book. We've been in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel for well over a year. And if you remember, last week we looked at worshiping God or praising God through the storm. We looked at 2 Samuel 22, which is a psalm that David wrote, and it's very parallel to Psalm 18. Most commentators say, though, Psalms 22 was written around the time that David became king. But what we saw in that psalm is that David gave praise to God through the storms. He said, praise God for keeping you safe. He talked about all the times that God had kept him safe. He praised God for hearing and rescuing him. He praised God for honoring him and his righteousness for trying to keep his ways, even though we know David didn't live a perfect life, and neither do we. And then he also praised God for giving him strength to fight and win. He praised God for all the battles that, and all the strategy that he had given him and how he was victorious to be where he was. And then last, he wrapped up just praising God for being God, for being who he is and his grace and his mercy and his strength that he gives us. I've told you this several times, but hopefully you remember that chapters 21 through 24 of 2 Samuel are an epilogue to the life of David. There are six sections in these chapters, and they give us important information about the life of David. But the center two sections, chapter 22 and now chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, contain two psalms, both which were written by David, and they tell us about the hope that David had for his kingdom. If you look in your Bible at the section heading right here in chapter 23, you'll see that it says David's last words. Now, these aren't his actual last words, and we'll talk more about that. But towards the end of many lives, there are people that give their final speech. They give their final saying. And most of the time, these people that give these speeches or these final sayings, they include a warning. Sometimes they include blessings and prophecies. But these speeches that are given 
are often regarded as the last words of that important person who gave that speech. But it's not necessarily the very last words. A lot of times they go on to live longer. They speak to other people. But these were the last words, the last big speech that they gave. We see this in the Bible as well. We see some notable people who spoke last words. And they include Jacob and Joshua and Samuel. And of course, David is included in this list as well, as we'll see in today's passage, 2 Samuel 23, 1-7. These final words that David give are messianic words. They look forward to the coming Messiah. I think David's final psalm can be put into four points. One, that we are anointed of God. Two, that we're to walk worthy in all that we do. And three, that rebellion is worse than thorns. And finally, we need to remember that God always keeps his promises or his words. So with that said, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the men who raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Verse 1 starts out that these are the last words of David. Well, these are not literally the last words of David. These aren't the last words he ever spoke out loud. But more likely, they're the final public expression of what he thinks is important for others to know and remember about him. I mean, let me give you an example. They ask you, you got any last words right before you die? It's, it's what the Cowboys in the old Westerns movie would ask before they shot the guy. It's the moment to tell everyone listening what's important to you. But here's what David's doing. David's giving that final speech. He's singing the final song. He's writing this final poem that are about his expression of what he thinks is important. Also in verse 1, he uses a word that I think we've all heard. It's called anointed. And that's the first thing I want you to understand, that we are all anointed by God. Now, if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard about an anointing of God. Maybe you've heard about a singer or a preacher who was anointed. Maybe you saw someone get anointed by oil. Or maybe you've heard a preacher say not to touch the Lord's anointing as a way to convince you not to argue with him. While this idea of anointing certainly seems to be thrown around a little too much in some religious circles, it's not new. The Bible talks about God's anointing in several ways throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Anyhow, this word anoint comes from the Greek word creo, which actually means to consecrate or to set apart. So when we are anointed by God, we are set apart. But when we are saved, we are anointed. We are set apart. We are made a part of God's family. We are separate from the world. We have been saved and we've been put into God's family. We've been anointed. Paul also teaches in 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22 that we all have an anointing. It says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through him that we utter an amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What Paul is saying right here is that when we are saved, the anointing of God puts the Holy Spirit into our heart. And this puts a mark or impression in our royal ownership to our lives. This authenticates and guarantees who we are and to whom we belong. So while in the Old Testament there were people such as Moses and Daniel and Samson who had this unique calling or the special presence of God that would come upon them, we as Christians, we that have accepted Jesus Christ in our life, 
we have an anointing as well. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. But right here, David is saying he's not just merely a man. He's not done anything by himself, but that he was God's anointed. David was anointed by God. He had a unique empowering and enabling from God. But what I want you to walk away from this first point is that we all are anointed by God and we have a unique gifting and God has something he wants to enable in you just like he did David. Okay, so now let's move on. Let's look at my second point. Look at verse 2 through 4 with me real quick. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His words is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass sprout from the earth. So what does this part of the poem say to us? It says that we need to walk worthy in all that we do. David is saying, rule your kingdom justly and fear the Lord. That's how you walk worthy. You fear the Lord and you rule justly. Right there in verse 3, he says that when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. Let's look at that word justly right there. What does justly mean? Justly means according to what is morally right or fair. We get that standard from God's word. God's word tells us what is right. God's word tells us what is fair. And when we know God's word, when we read God's word, we can act justly. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 28, 5, that evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it all. We live in a society today that is confused. It doesn't go by what the Bible that says is fair and just anymore. It goes by what man thinks. It goes by what man says. And that's what this verse says right here in Proverbs. In Proverbs, he's saying that evil men don't understand justice. They think they do. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us also that there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it is the way to death. What we think and what we believe and the rules that we make, if it's not by the Bible, then it leads a way to death. It may seem right to us logically, but if it doesn't follow the Bible, the inspired word of God, then it is wrong. The other thing we get confused about here in our society is that we think fairness and equal is the same. Equal means everybody gets the same thing at the same time, but not everybody needs the same thing at the same time. Fairness is giving people what they need at the moment that they need it at that time. Not everybody needs it at that time. And so sometimes we say, well, that's not fair when we're really thinking it should be equal. But David is trying to inspire about leadership here. And he's saying that when you lead people, people need to be led differently. Look what the Bible says in Psalms 106.3. Blessed are those who keep justice and who does righteousness at all times. In Proverbs 21.3, it says to do right and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, we love to talk about our sacrifices, but what this is telling us and what David's trying to tell us is that the Lord would rather us be obedient, follow his commandment, live right, walk right than to give a sacrifice. Not that we shouldn't sacrifice, but that obedience is better than sacrifice. And the Lord would rather us be obedient. You might say, well, Tim, why is that the case? Well, a lot of time, like I said, the sacrifice is to our glory. We're, we talk about how much we did and what we sacrificed for the Lord. Who got the glory in that? 
And then look back at verse 3 with me. He also talks about when we rule, we rule in fear of God. Again, fear of God is another area that is misunderstood. A lot of times we're, we think God is this big bully that if we mess up, he's just going to spank us. But that's really not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us time and time again that God shows grace and gives us an opportunity. Nineveh, take Nineveh, for example, when Jonah went to Nineveh. He could have wiped Nineveh off the map, but he gave them a warning. What did they do? They put on sackcloth. They asked for forgiveness. They sacrificed. And all of a sudden, God's heart was changed and Nineveh was spared. But what David is really saying here is that we need to rule in reverence and admonition of God. We need to understand who put us in power. We need to understand that the job that we have, whatever that is, whether it's a king or whether it's just a worker, whatever your job is, do it unto God. Do it in reverence of God. And that way we follow his obedience like he tells us we should do and that we are reverent. And then in verse 4, he paints the picture of what this looks like. He says it's like the dawn of the morning light. It's like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. Or it's like the rain that makes the grass that sprouts from the earth. You know, think about that. I live down here in Florida now. And I don't do it often, but I have gone out to the beach and watched the sun come up over the ocean and hearing the waves roll in and watching the sun come up. Or think about a pretty yard. In my old neighborhood, they had the yard of the month. And I think about the yards there, and it's like what he says in the second half of verse 4. It's like the beauty of the rain that makes the grass sprout. David paints a picture of what it is to be anointed and then what it's also to look like when we walk worthy. It's a beautiful picture is what he's saying. Now look at verse 5 with me. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made me with an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? This is, again, a prophetic statement David's saying here. He's saying, first, let's look at my house. Does it not stand with God? Now, he doesn't say, I have a perfect house. But he says, do I stand with God in my own God's side? Do I try to do what's right? And that's the challenge we should ask ourselves today. If someone was to assess your house, do you stand with God? Do they see that you live a righteous life? Do you live a just life? Do you follow his commandments? And then David gives the argument that God has made an everlasting covenant to order all things and be secure. And if you remember... God made a covenant through the prophet of Nathan. God spoke through Nathan to David. If you remember, he went to Nathan and said, hey, I want to build a house, a temple for God. Right now, I live in this beautiful house and God lives in a tent. And Nathan went and prayed to the Lord and the Lord came back and said, no, I don't want you to build a house for God. That'll be done later. But I want to build a dynasty for you, David. Turn with me real quick back to 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. I want to show you this real quick. Starting in the second half of verse 11 from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a prophetic messianic message that is coming from Nathan. 
God is speaking to David and telling him that when you die, someone will come out of your lineage and he will reign forever. And we know now that that is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God created and established the kingdom that will endure forever and all eternity and make this passage true. So David understood that this everlasting covenant was not based on his perfection, but through God's gracious commitment to his everlasting covenant that he made with him. And then David wraps up verse 5 by saying, For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desires? What he's saying there is that God has made an arrangement. He's made an agreement. And he's going to arrange and guarantee everything in every detail. He will ensure the safety and success of David's household. And it is through God. It's not through him. It's not something he's done. But he's saying that it is through God's covenant that God will do this. What I want you to see out of this is that David is instructing us that his future blessing and our hope and joy should be focused on God's covenant of grace. As Christians, we should get into God's word. And when we do, as we walk with God, we start to experience the blessings of God as we grow and understand this covenant of grace. Because as we understand God's word, as we hide it in our heart, then we walk justly, we walk worthy, and we have the blessings of God that start to flow in our life. So I would challenge you to study God's word daily. Get into a Bible-believing church where you hear God's word from the pulpit. Get in small group with the men's Bible study or women's Bible study or an adult Bible fellowship of some type where you get God's word and teaching at you in multiple different flavors. But it all should align with the Bible. And as we do that, and as we study the Bible, we truly start to see the blessings of God in our life because we walk justly. And as we walk justly, we see God's favor on our life. I need to move on. So we've looked at you are anointed of God. We looked at walking worthy and all that you do. And now let's look at the rebellion is worse than thorns. Let's look at the warning that David gives us. Look back at verse 6. But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, but they cannot be taken with the hand. David's warning is that there are words of about destruction that is coming to those that don't heed God's word. Those who ignore God's truth. Right here in verse 6, he uses the word worthless men. Worthless men in the Hebrew meant someone who's not worth, especially in regards to righteous behavior. In other words, they didn't have value in God's judgment. Do you remember when we studied the book of Daniel in chapter 5, when we studied about the great feast that went on, that King Belshazzar had the golden and silver vessels that were stolen out of the temple brought in? As they drank from it, all of a sudden a hand came out and it wrote on the wall, it wrote, Mini, Mini, Tekel, Perez, which meant that God had numbered thy kingdom. In other words, God had put a number on the day and you were about to lose your kingdom. And then Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. In other words, God has weighed you in the balances and you found falling short. Think of it like a scale. We saw through Daniel this prophetic word that he spoke to King Belshazzar. The question for you today are you a worthless man? And it could be a worthless woman. Are you worthless? If your life was put on a scale, how would it judge? David paints a picture. He says that rebellious people, worthless people are like sticker bushes. You can't pull them out by hand. They'll tear your skin apart. 
when I was growing up, me and my brothers would go out and we would go to the blackberry bushes that would grow on the side of the road. It was sticker bushes, but they had these blackberries. You would reach in, you would pick the berries, we'd put them in a container and we'd bring them home. My mom would make blackberry cobbler with them. But those stickers would eat your hand up if you didn't have gloves or something on to grab those berries. As you reached in there, the sticker bushes would get you. When I was deer hunting, I remember going and through thickets and briar patches that would just rip the clothes apart if you didn't have the proper clothes on because they would just grab hold of the material and then just rip as you move forward. Now we would jump the deer that way, we would jump rabbits that way. And what David is saying here is rebellious people, worthless people are like sticker bushes. They will rip you apart. They will hurt you. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The Bible has warned us that don't be fooled by those that are worthless people, those that don't walk righteously, those that don't live justly, because they will corrupt you. They will corrupt your good character that you have. Proverbs covers this as well. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. I want you to understand that what David is saying here is that rebellion can look different from other sins. It's sneaky. It's not obvious. It is an act of the will. It's rooted in pride, which is rooted in self-worship. It is about me, me, me. Rebellion is about me and against someone telling you what to do. It's about me and not you. And it is the opposite of what God wants. And it is the opposite of the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. And today, if you are not saved, you are a worthless person, what the Bible says here. You are a rebellious person. Why do I say that? It's because you are rebelling against God. And if you hang around with those kind of people, their thorns will snare you. They will hurt you. You might be going, well, Tim, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm saved. Well, then what we need to do, we need to check ourselves, like I said a couple of weeks ago. We need to get our own sin out because sin in our life is rebellion against God. And we need to look for the areas in our life that we get rid of that sin so that we don't ensnare others in that sin. We have to examine our own heart. We have to look at it through the lens of Scripture. And in the areas that doesn't fit what the Scripture says, we need to cut it out. And that takes me to verse 7. Let's read verse 6 and 7 again. But the worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Again, a prophetic word that says one day they're going to be cut away, and they're going to be judged, just like we talked about the judgment earlier, and they are going to be consumed with fire. Where David is painting this picture from was back in those days, thorns that grew up in the fields would be cut. They would be cut with a spear, and then they would be put into a large pile, and then they would be burned. This isn't popular preaching, but I want to tell you that in Revelations 20:15 it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the picture that David is putting right here before us. Revelations 20:15 is a sobering verse. If you were to die today without being a Christian, what the Bible is telling us that you will be judged one day and you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Have you ever heard the phrase that those that are born once die twice? Those that are born twice only die once. What they're talking about is those that are born once. That means they were never saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that they are going to die twice. Once a physical death, and then once a death that the Bible tells us right here when they're thrown into the lake of fire. But those that are born twice, once born physically, and then second spiritually, only die once. We die a physical death, and then we go be with the Savior for the rest of our life, for eternity. You may think this is over the top, but it is my responsibility to stand here today and make you completely aware of what hell will be like. Sadly, there are no second chances after you die. You have to come to know Jesus Christ in this life before you pass on. Maybe you're one of those that believes because you're a good person and all the good things you've done that you're going to make it into heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is only through a confession of our mouth and asking Jesus to be Lord of our life. And I want you to walk away here today understanding that if you call on Jesus, he promises to forgive you of all your sins, to give you his righteousness and holiness. But how do we do that? We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to believe on Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross and his overcoming death. Then we have to confess with our mouth that we need a Savior, that we are lost. And what I want to say to you is there is no reason for you to die in your sin. Run to Jesus right now. He's ready and willing to save you. See, through this seven verses, David shows us that Saul was taking out because he was prideful and rebellious. He thought he knew better than God, and it didn't matter as long as he did the motions. And God spoke through Samuel and said that I'd rather obedience more than sacrifice. David wasn't perfect either. But he was humble, and he had fear and reverence to the Lord. He always came back, and he always repented. When God told David that his throne would be established forever, he's talking about the coming King Jesus. And Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he made the way for you to be saved today, that you can live eternally. God has a promise of salvation for you that comes through Jesus Christ. None of us have lived a perfect life. None of us will live a perfect life. Only Jesus did that. But there is redemption to our sin through our failures through Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 says, It is by grace that you've been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. If you are rebellious, if you've not accepted Jesus, do it today. If you have sin in your life, turn it over to God today. If you don't know the Lord, come back to him today. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray this word will fall on fertile soil. Lord, that it will fall deep and as we are challenged, that we will turn to you. Lord, we'll understand that you keep your word. Lord, we understand that we are to walk worthy, that we're to walk in a way of justness, and we should strive to be righteous. Lord, we're going to fall short, but Lord, we ask for forgiveness. You hear our, our cry for repentance, and you forgive us. But Lord, we should strive to live a righteous life. And Lord, we thank you that you honor that and you bless that. Lord, I pray for the ones listening today that Maybe they've got some sin in their life. Lord, I pray that they would look at their life and examine their life today through the lens of the Bible, that they would use the Bible to examine their heart and, and the sin that may be there, and Lord, that they would turn it back to you. They would ask for forgiveness. Lord, sometimes we think that this little sin doesn't matter, but Lord, you tell us to confess our sin. Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't know you. 
that if they don't get their name written down in the book of life, like Revelations 20 says, they'll be just like the picture that David put right here in verse 7, that they'll be consumed by fire. Lord, but your word tells us in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in. Lord, I pray today that they will open the door. Lord, they'll ask you to be Lord of their life. They'll believe on your finished work on the cross and that you overcame death. Lord, they'll confess with their mouth that you are Lord. And Lord, they will chase after you and be obedient in your ways. For it's in your name we pray. Lord, thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.